You're listening to a resource from Alpine Bible Church. Alpine Bible Church exists to know Christ Jesus together and to make Him known. We are located in Sugar Creek, Ohio. For more information, visit our website at alpinebible.org. May Jesus be glorified in your life. Thank you, worship team. That was wonderful. Thank you. I began a series last week. I want to stay in that. And so uh, the songs were hopefully reflective of the series. I've called this relevant words for a faithless church. And uh, obviously I'm uh, drawing uh, some conclusions from the church at large around us. I'm not saying that we're the only right church. That is simply not true. There are many good churches, but there are also many churches off course in this day that we live in, and uh, it's a concern that we don't go off course, and that's why I'm trying to walk us through this. We're in the book of Malachi. You can join me in chapter one of Malachi. The last prophet that uh, the the Israelites had uh, in their... uh, Having had returned from an exile, after 70 years of exile, they returned to the land of Israel. They were able to rebuild the temple and uh, Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, he comes along, helps them rebuild the walls. Uh, Generation has been born there and there's a generation that was born in captivity. And so by the time uh, we come to the book of Malachi, this prophet, he's talking to basically two generations of people who have very little uh, knowledge about God, aside from the fact that they had Ezra read from the scriptures uh, in, in this time, and uh, other prophets have come along, but they were not raised uh, to know much about the God of glory. And uh, so in this sort of newness, uh, there's a lot of issues and problems going on. And I would say much of this is reflective of what is happening in the church today, so that's why I wanted to address this. And uh, draw us to that. So as the uh, uh, Malachi unfolds, the, uh, as he's uh, basically uh, sort of sharing with this crowd God's words, uh, he begins in verse 2 by saying, and this is God speaking through him, I have loved you, says the Lord. And then there's, there are these questions that come back to God that are coming back with a very wrong attitude, a very, a very poor attitude, a very negative, dark attitude. The response is, in what way have you loved us? Almost in a very sarcastic way. And then, of course, he begins to answer the question. We had this last week. I want to bring us, uh, because of time, I want to get right to the issue today. I want to go to verse 6, where we're going to start today. This goes into the second question and the second uh, uh, issue raised by God. And so he says this, a son honors his father and a servant his master. Well, if then I am the father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my reverence? Says the Lord of hosts to you priests who despise my name. Yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? There's the second question. Uh, the Lord is uh, drawing attention to this issue 
of uh, honor and the words honor and master. I was on a website uh, the other day uh, looking at a, uh, uh, a journal from a psychologist who was trying to uh, talk about father-son conflict. And uh, as uh, I looked at the illustrations he was using, I was humored by it, but I thought this is very interesting that a professional psychologist was using the following examples for how to understand father-son conflict. He was uh, using Austin Powers. Some of you might know who that is. He was using the movie Elf, uh, the cartoon movie Finding Nemo, and uh, finally Star Wars, talking about uh, Luke Skywalker and his father, you know. And uh, if you know anything about these things, it's just I was just amazed that is this the best source that a professional psychologist is using for uh, studying father son conflicts? I just thought that's that's great. You just watch cartoons and you'll know all there is to know about life. It's kind of ridiculous, but that's what's happening. I, I know that we're in this day where we're experiencing all these cultural changes and we're seeing uh, the canceling of so many, you know, words and uh, titles and labels uh, that Webster's Dictionary needs a complete rewrite. I mean, it, honestly, you just can't say certain things anymore. They're, they're just obliterated and, and uh, you'll have a comeback to everything you say. So you have to be so careful, it seems like. And by the way, I'm old and I will not be careful. I don't know how to be careful. <laughs> Last week I said something and I was reminded and... You can just lose it when you get old. I'm sorry. You've got to be careful. Uh, but in this woke society we live in, you know, what is not going to happen, I can tell you this, in our culture, is there is not going to be an honoring of a father. There's not going to be anyone willing to accept the label as a servant. And there's certainly not going to be anyone who's going to sit under the leadership of a master. And so these words are a problem in our culture today. Uh, I think it's just a matter of time, and I don't think it'll take long for many evangelical theologians to join the cause of removing certain portions of Scripture, which is already kind of happening. And I think that this text is one of those texts that will disappear from pulpits for these very reasons. Now, God's statement, when he says, if then I am the father, when he says that, and he says, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my reverence? And then he adds, says the Lord of hosts to you priests who despise my name. And from these questions, first of all, it, it tells us how much it matters to God, how we worship him and the fact that we do worship him. That, that's, that's the primary thing here that God is concerned that we do worship him that we recognize who he is and so that's uh, a primary thing for us to uh, understand today uh, he he's talking to priests in that verse uh, we could interject pastors today uh, the fact that there uh, certainly should be and will be a greater accountability to those who are to lead God's people and to know these things but the Lord's questions in this text are applicable, really, to everyone. And that's my concern. God is seeking to be honored. He is seeking to be revered. He is seeking to be lifted high above all other things. The shame of it 
which is in this text, the shame of it all is that God has to ask to be honored. Think about it. We're watching the uh, unveiling, I am, you are, of the, uh, what I just caught maybe think about is the blanket of evil that seems to be sweeping over the world and it's permeating every place, every level, every facet of society. And I just want to remind us of some things today. And I want to start just very briefly in Second Thessalonians and remind you of what Paul has written about these days. Just want to identify this because it relates to the topic today. Uh, as uh, in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, as Paul is referring to uh, uh, the day when the Lord Jesus Christ will return. And in verse 3 of that chapter, it says, let no one deceive you by any means for that day, talking about the day when Jesus comes back, that by the way, we're all looking forward to, I, I, I hope, uh, on that day uh, will not come unless the falling away comes first. That word falling away is the word for apostasy. It's, uh, it's a word that describes uh, sort of the, the, the backward movement of those who once claimed to be in truth and are now sliding backwards out of truth. Uh, apostasy, they're believing that which is wrong. They're teaching that which is wrong. Uh, until that comes first. He's talking to the church here. He's talking to believers, not to the world. And he's just saying that that's a time that's going to come when there's this apostasy. Uh, that's going to happen first. Uh, if you jump down to uh, verse 6, uh, sorry, verse 7. Uh, uh, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Uh, I just want to read that phrase. The mystery of lawlessness is already at work. And he's talking about the coming of the, uh, of the evil one who will uh, sort of fully uh, establish himself throughout the world. Uh, that's going to come. So before the, the Lord comes, there's going to be a falling away. Then there's going to be this one who comes who's called the lawless one who will then uh, present himself and he'll be fully manifested. And so, uh, but we're living in that time where we're seeing the apostasy happen. The church is just becoming uh, milk toast in terms of what they believe, falling away from truth, teaching really soft truths that sound wonderful but don't have life changing impact. And that's what's taking place around us today. And that, uh, God help us, does not become this place in the future, right? You will guard against that, won't you? Uh, uh, the, when the day I'm gone, God help you that you will not have a pastor who doesn't teach the truth here. And that's your job to make sure that that takes place. Is it possible, dear friends, is it possible that the Lord might be asking any of us today the same question? If I am the father, where is my honor? If I am a master, where is my reverence? And I know that all of us here, most of us here are not in the, uh, uh, are not going to possibly despise his name. We're not about that. But how often is his name exalted from our lips? Is he receiving the credit and glory that he truly deserves from his people? I'm bouncing around because I'm going to stay in this verse. I want to go back to Psalm 145. You all know that uh, great psalm, psalm of praise and worship. But I want you to go back and just see the first three verses with me. 
Because David writes this tremendous reminder to all of us as God's people. And David begins by saying it this way. In my translation, it says, I will extol you, my God, O King. It's not a word that we use anymore. It's a word for praise. But uh, because of the prefix, it's a word that is calling for something more than just praise. It's calling for praise in action. It's calling for praise that's manifested. It's it's more than just the word itself. And uh, sometimes we we are not very demonstrative in our worship. Uh, Some of you uh, look like you've been frozen uh, when you're singing your song today. Your arms are down, your hands are in your pockets, and you're barely moving your lips. And that's that animation is not what the word extol means. And so when he says, I will extol you, my God, O king, and I will bless your name forever and ever, he says. Uh, obviously, when I get to heaven, I'm going to be doing that forever and ever. But I mean, that phrase, I've always wondered how David can say that, but he means that through his life and all the way into eternity. The next phrase, look, every day I will bless you. And I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord. We sang these words this morning. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. (laughs) If you and I have any sense of what that means to us, if we have any more clear understanding of the idea that his greatness is unsearchable, you can't even define his greatness. And when you compare his greatness to any human being that we say is great, we apply greatness to people because we've seen what they can do, how they do it, and we're, uh, we're enamored by that, and we call them great. We have some sense of measurement. When you're talking about God, you can't even begin to measure his greatness. It's out out of your realm to understand that. And that's what's trying to be expressed here in the psalmist. Go to look at the next uh, the next Psalm 146. Praise the Lord. Then he says, praise the Lord, O my soul. While I live, I will praise the Lord. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. And now he's talking about the fact that I will praise God as long as I have the mental capacity to understand what that means. When I was in a hospital three years ago, I was uh, uh, and I had a tube down my mouth and I couldn't say anything. I was giving God glory that I was still there and under his care. I mean, there, there's just something about the fact that uh, the other day when I was sitting uh, at breakfast yesterday, after having dug out, by the way, and after taking, a, what, an inch plus off my car, my wife's car is in the garage because I prefer her over me. <laughs> and my car is in the driveway covered in all that ice. And it was wonderful. And uh, I was thanking God yesterday for the sun because the sun was helping to melt it. It was just wonderful. Lord, thank you. After a stormy thing, a sun comes out and reminds us that he's in charge and in control. It's okay. and It'll melt and life will go on. And it did. So that's wonderful. Look at Psalm 147. Praise the Lord. For it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and praise is beautiful. I added to my Bible by saying this, especially from weary, the broken, the forgiven, and the humble. Praise is beautiful. God wants to hear praise from us. 
And so when we start to analyze, you know, where we're at, how we're doing in that area of our life, that's really the question he's asking these people who are supposed to know better. Talking to priests, talking to people who claim to know God, our children of God. And he's asking that question, where is my honor? Where is my reverence? Now, the Lord referenced his name in that text in verse six, back in Malachi. He referenced his name. And uh, it's important to understand what God is saying as he references his name in verse 6. When he says, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my reverence? Says the Lord of hosts to you priests who despise my name. And when he uses that phrase, says the Lord of hosts, God is saying something incredibly important to us. In fact, eight times in chapter 1, he uses that phrase. 21 times he uses that phrase in this little tiny book. God is hugely concerned that we try to grasp who he is. And God knows that in our humanness, we are so uh, of a tendency to lose sight of that. And when you lose sight of who he is, you'll cease to praise him. And that's what's so critical here. Lord of hosts, he says. Uh, your translation might say the Lord Almighty. It's Yahweh Tzabat. It means the idea that God's trying to say, you, do you not realize who I am? That's really what he's doing when he, when he says this over and over and over. I'm thinking to myself, what a sad and fearful thing to minimize the character and the nature of God Almighty. And that is something that we often do. It's rare today for people to think about the sense of needing to bow. Now, when we were young, my, my kids were young, especially, and in my own home, when I was young, we, uh, uh, we tried to follow our parents' model and teach our kids that when you pray, you bow your head. It's just a symbol of your understanding he's in control and he's in charge and he's the sovereign one. So we bow our heads and we taught our kids to do that. There were very rare times when we also would kneel. Sometimes at bedside, we'd kneel with Mandy and Philip and just kneel and pray. And uh, I think that's very important to do that with your kids. But have you done that lately by yourself? Because what happens is that gets relegated to the, the, the cuteness of being with our kids. Well, this is cute. Let's, let's bow together. Let's get on our knees and pray to Jesus before we tuck you in. But when's the last time you went in your own bedroom and got on your knees? Uh, we have really lost the sense of what it means to fall prostrate before God. <laughs> that's, that's, really, that's really getting carried away. It's a sad thing that it's become a foreign, these are foreign actions among believers. So question number two arises and they ask him, in what way have we despised your name? I was... Uh, Thinking to myself, now these are, again, people who are supposed to know better. These are people who are supposed to know God on some level. These are people who are following him. And I would just say to us today, as those who follow Christ here uh, in the present tense, uh, I wouldn't want to ask that question with that tone. Uh, in fact, uh, I can think of many ways in which I have probably despised his name at times as a sinner that I am. But is it possible for a person who's supposed to know God, is it possible for that person to know, or to not know, rather, if they are dishonoring the Lord? 
And I, I, don't, I don't think it's possible uh, to not know. I think most of us know if that's happening or not. I, I'm, I'm going to share this. Uh, I've already shared it with some this week, last week or so, but I watched this interview on YouTube uh, with Elon Musk and uh, Babylon B. Now, if you know who Babylon B is, some of you, if you're into sarcastic humor, Babylon B is uh, the top of the league on that. They're claiming to be Christians, but they are sarcastic about everything. Uh, so they're interviewing him, and that's why I watched it, because I was struck by the fact that why would he be talking to guys from Babylon B? It just didn't sound right. So I'm listening to this uh, interesting one-hour uh, interview. They asked him things about his personal life and uh, all kinds of questions and uh, you know, where he grew up and so on. Of course, he's Canadian, and they, he, he uh, went to an Anglican church as a kid. and So they're, they're sort of poking on all that. And every time you answer a question, if you know anything about Babylon B, they're interjecting all their weird kind of satirical jokes in between everything he was saying. And he's a very serious, awkward kind of guy, if you've ever watched him. And so uh, uh, at one point, he, he wasn't interacting with their laughing. Uh, and at one point, he asked them, uh, why are we doing this interview? <laughs> he asked that several times. And they're just ha-ha-ha along in the interview. If you ever watch it, you'll, you'll know what I'm saying. But in the final minute of the interview, uh, one of the guys said, you know, since we are supposed to be a Christian ministry, could you do us a favor and just get saved? Ha-ha-ha-ha. <laughs> and they all laughed. And he actually tried to answer the question in a serious way. I heard him say he doesn't think he needs to be saved, but he went on to talk about, tried to say something about God. And uh, as he's answering, uh, the clock runs out. They stand up, push their chairs back, stand up. And one of the guys goes, I think that's it. I think he did it. And with that, the thing was over. And then it went across the Internet on YouTube that Elon Musk gave his life to Christ. That is not true. It's not true. And as I watch that, and if you want to watch it to get mad, I would agree that you might want to do that. It might fire up your soul a little bit, because I'm tired of people who are professional mockers of everything. But when it comes down to a moment when you can talk to one of the, one of the wealthiest men in the world who's firing rockets into space, who thinks we're going to live on Mars, who's building a Tesla car that I can't afford, but when you get into that guy's life and you have an hour of his time, and you can mock the moment when you should be sharing the gospel that could change his life. I'm not impressed. And on some level, I think that that is mocking the name of Jesus Christ. When you play around with the gospel like that. And in fact, you don't even share the gospel. There's other folks that I've run in contact with, and you have too, that... You know, who use the Lord's name, uh, they'll say the name Jesus, they'll say the name Christ, and it'll come out in ways that you and I cringe. And uh, they don't have a clue of the depth of that wretchedness before God. I know they don't. I give them some uh, leeway because they're non-believers. I don't expect them to have a sense of, of what it means to say the name of Jesus. They're inspired by the evil one and don't even know it. But the corruption in believers is what I'm concerned about. It's beyond understanding today what I'm seeing, what you're seeing. I typed into YouTube, recent pastors in scandals. And I'm telling you, I think about 100 things popped up. And it was just sickening. 
the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is being scandalized by so many who claim to follow Jesus Christ. It's concerning. And that's what God's last message is to these people. They have so, uh, uh, they've become so devoid of any thoughts about the, the seriousness of their faith and their love for, for God and what God's done for them that they ask these questions. In what way have you loved us? Uh, you know, uh, how have we despised your name? And as God is trying to pour his heart out to them and sort of draw them to truth, and they're just responding in this way. I'm thinking these priests uh, that he's addressing in this text, they're the ones who are called supposedly by God to lead and shepherd God's people. These are the ones who are supposed to be expected to love God, to love his word. Uh, These are the ones who are supposed to call people to righteousness. These are the ones who are to be zealous for God's name. These are the ones who are supposed to exemplify holiness and purity and godliness. And so then as well, back to verse 6 in our text. Sorry, I'm going to go off on this a little bit. Verse 6, if then I am the father and if I am a master. And I already said this is something that is not well received. It's reactively despised by most. In this society of the wokeness and that whole idea of master, it's, it's just not a concept that's going to be accepted by the world. But see... God's not talking to the world. He's talking to believers. He's talking to followers of him, supposedly. So for you and I, no matter what society tells us about the labels we're not supposed to have, say, or accomplish, or do, or yield to, or whatever it is, you and I are called to something that has not changed. And if we don't understand that, we're in trouble. It's necessary, absolutely necessary for us to learn and understand who it is that we're following. And that's critical for us. We have to recognize, first of all, the dynamic of God as father. We have to know what that means and believe that and understand that. I'm going to quickly sort of walk you through this, but Isaiah chapter 63. And we have a clear statement in this text from Isaiah's prophecy Uh, that uh, will help us understand that. Verse 15 and 16 of Isaiah 63. You can mark these down. In this text, God is reminding them of how much he loves them. If you start at verse 7, look at this. I will mention the loving kindnesses of the Lord and the praises of the Lord according to all that the Lord has bestowed on us and the the great goodness toward the house of Israel, which he has bestowed on them according to his mercies, according to the multitude of his loving kindnesses. That's that's responding back to uh, the the very first thing that God said, I I have loved you. And and here is, again, this reminder that God loves them. But in the context of this, uh, there's a reminder of what they've done that has been wrong in his eyes. And now he's had to turn against them. And so uh, at verse 15, this is a prayer uh, uh, to return to God, to, to have uh, repentance toward him. And so it says, look down from heaven. This is a call to God. Look down from heaven and see your habitation, holy and glorious. Where are your zeal and your strength, the yearning of your heart and your mercies toward me? Are they restrained? See, God had gone silent. Verse 16, doubtless you are our father, 
though Abraham was ignorant of us and Israel does not acknowledge us. You, O Lord, are our father, our redeemer from everlasting is your name. There's one thing that uh, this crowd in their prayer had to remind themselves about was that he is their father. He is the one who redeems. No one else does that. And even today, as we think about God, we, we just lose sight of what God has done in our life and who he is and how we should approach him. We, we sang songs that try to help us understand that. We also must recognize Jesus Christ as God. If you go back to, uh, if you're in Isaiah, go back to Isaiah chapter uh, 7, or chapter 9. Let's do chapter 9, Isaiah 9. And this is on your Christmas cards, many of you. But let's remind ourselves what it tells us. Isaiah 9, verse 6. For he made, for, for unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. We're talking now about the one who's going to come, named Jesus, the Emmanuel and the government will be upon his shoulder. That has not happened yet. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. And here it is. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. Wait a minute. The Son is called Everlasting Father? Yes. We sang about a triune God in one of the songs. And the reminder is that we have a God who has three aspects of himself. He's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And our Son, Jesus Christ, the one who gave his life for us on a cross, is also called here Everlasting Father. He's called Mighty God. And we have to understand that. That's a part of uh, what we say we believe. We recognize him as the Father, as God. And then we also recognize him as master. Look with me in Matthew chapter 8, would you? In verse 23, we read, Now when he got into a boat, his disciples followed him. And suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea so that the boat was covered with waves, but he was asleep. Then his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us. We are perishing. For fishermen, by the way, to behave that way tells me that this was a really serious day. But he said to them, why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Notice that the Lord's not in a hurry. While he's talking, the storm is still like, you know, about to drown them. It's almost like, do something. But he's going to preach a little mini sermon to them. Then he arose and he rebuked the winds in the sea. Who would have expected this? He rose and rebuked the winds. What was he going to, when they were calling on him, what were they expecting him to do? Do, do you have any idea what, <clears throat> when they're saying, Lord, Lord, save us, what were they expecting him to do? Uh, I don't think they had in mind that he was going to just calm the elements. <laughs> they were in shock over that. I don't know what they were expecting. Uh, can we get out of the boat, walk on sea? Like you, you, uh, is that what they're thinking? Or, or will you just sort of take us somewhere else and get us out of the boat, deliver us on the beach? Or, you know, I, I don't know what they had in mind. Uh, but that when he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. 
And, and so the men marveled. And they were saying, oh, who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? I want to remind us today that we're talking about this one who is master of the elements. Master of the elements. Don't turn, I'll just tell you. But in 2 Timothy 2, verse 21, uh, there's uh, Paul's writing to, to Timothy, and he says, he talks about uh, Timothy needing to be sanctified and useful for the master. Those are the words that he uses. To be useful for the master. Uh, I, as I just even think about that, that's an amazing thing. Uh, to be useful for the master. And then, and then uh, if you think about John 15, verse 14, uh, where he says, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. He's master. He's a friend of yours and mine if we obey him. And so what happens is oftentimes Jesus is presented as a friend, but he's not presented as a master. And that is a faulty uh, understanding of who he is and a huge concern, I think, for anyone if we're trying to preach what is right and true. So how do you and I possibly dishonor the Lord's name. I, I, I made up a little, a little bit of a list here that I wanted to uh, just walk you through. This is my summary of how I think we can dishonor the Lord's name. And let me just give these to you. There's, a, there's a five of them, I think. Yeah, five. We dishonor the Lord's name, first of all, when we fail to give him his due reverence, honor, and praise. And he deserves that from us, Right? When I look up, you need to know what to say. Right? We dishonor the Lord's name when we fail to worship and praise him in our daily lives. What do you think? Because otherwise, you're kind of praising the circumstances or yourself. We dishonor the Lord's name when we fail to trust and obey his word. The world watches us, and we claim that he is a mighty God. We claim that our Savior is master of all things, and he's in charge of our life, and we pray and trust him with our lives, and the world watches that. And wow, can you imagine if the, if the world picks up that we don't trust and obey him, what that would be doing to defame the Lord before the world? We dishonor the Lord's name when we fail to commit our time and our talents, and our resources for his good work. I only got one amen on that one. Let me just remind us, uh, let me just take a second. I'm going to remind us, it just popped in my head, but Ephesians 4 is a play. I just want to read something from here to remind us of what I just read. Paul talking about the church. He's talking about the body of Christ. And he says in chapter 4, at verse 15 and 16, But speaking the truth in love, may we grow up in all things into him who is the head, that is Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. 
What I'm saying is that obviously you and I are a part of a thing called the church. If you're visiting today, uh, or if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're, you're not a part of that. You're here attending, and we are thrilled that you're here. But those who call themselves followers of Christ and come to Alpine are a part of something that's bigger than any of one of us. We are a part of something called the body of Christ. He's in charge. He is center in this place. And all of us, by his grace, have received him as Savior, and we are here to serve him. That's true. But he has placed us in this body to minister and to work and to glorify him through our uh, giving of ourselves to each other in this place as his church. This church will only go as far as you and I will work together to see it happen. Uh, this church will only financially be open and be able to do the things God's called us to if we all chip in to serve him in, with our finances. And we hardly ever preach about that, just so you know. This church uh, is going to be here only in the days and years to come uh, if you and I understand that we collectively do this because we want him to be glorified in this place. We want this church to be that kind of a church. And so we contribute our part. We do our part, whatever it is. Some of you are, uh, are tremendously friendly and you're great at the front door. And people think this is the friendliest place in the universe when they walk in and see you. And if you're not that kind of person, get away from the front door. <laughs> Find some other place. Because people need to have a handshake and a, and a welcome and a, we're so thrilled to see you here with us. We don't know who you are, but you look good. Come on in, you know. Uh, we need to have that invitation to friendliness and a family. But then there's also some of you who are highly skilled at, at just sharing truth. Not just from up here. I'm talking about one-on-one -on -one with people, looking them in the eye and saying, do you know do you know what this is all about? Do you know what we're doing here? Do you understand what's happening here? I mean, just to open a conversation and say, it's all about Jesus Christ. Can I share with you what that means? Some of you are good at that. Uh, some of you are uh, musically inclined to levels that we have no idea because you will not volunteer yourself because you're scared to death. And quite frankly, you might be rejected. <laughs> Some who know me know that I can do that, but I love you. <laughs> Some of you are good at digging, uh, uh, digging holes in the ground. I'm not. I, my holes go all over the place. I, I, I'm not good. Some of you are, are fantastic with your hands and, and you're skilled workers. Some of you are great with kids and working with children and you have the right personality, the right, the right stuff, and you understand what to say, how to do it, and kids respond to you, and that's fantastic. I scare them to death. I mean, we just have different values and how, and how God's equipped us. And we take all of that stuff and we put it together and say, here, I'm offering this. Can you use this? But I just need to have some of you step out of that chair and lose your fear and say, can you use this? And I might say, how many tools do you have in your pocket? Let's take one of them, but maybe that's not the right one, but there's this one. How about this one? Some of us don't know what we have some of us don't know what God's given us because we're so concerned I'm saying all this because when we hold back and we don't move and we don't trust God 
with all these things that we are, then we're not committing ourselves to uh, our time given to him for his work. We're not giving our talents. We're not giving our perhaps our resources like we could. And that is not honoring the Lord. And the last one is this. We dishonor the Lord when we fail to love others, to forgive others and serve others, especially fellow saints in the body of Christ. The book of 1 John tells us that that's the mark of a true believer, is one who loves fellow believers. <laughs> so let me close. Salvation, that thing we call salvation, especially is such, a, it's such an amazing, powerful thing, how it's gripped all of us and has saved us if you've given your lives to Christ. But we both know this. It's one that requires certain things. Salvation requires certain things. It requires God and God alone, first of all. It's he that calls us to himself and he that steers, pulls our hearts and opens up truth to us. And so we need him to do that. That's why I've always said one of the first prayers you should always pray if you don't know Christ is, Lord, would you show me who you are with an honest heart? And you know what? God will reward that honesty. Uh, it requires his son, Jesus Christ, to be God. We read about that. It requires him also to be master, master over all creation, master over sin and death, and master over your life and your soul. And that has to be something you understand and accept for you to actually be saved. We have too easily sold a message that's too easy and too naive and has not truly effected change in people's lives. Because you see, salvation can only take place when you recognize that Jesus is the one I come to. He is the only one who, he who is God, is the only one I can come to who is the master over uh, my soul and the master over evil and sin in my life. And I come to him and I recognize my sin before him. I repent unto him as Christ and master. And I'm then ready to follow him and obey his word as master. And if you say, I want to get saved, but I don't want to follow him, you're not saved. We must understand what this means. So when the Lord says to us, if I am the father, where's my honor? If I'm a master, where's my reverence? And if we are not honoring God and reverencing him, including the son of God, if we're not reverencing him, we're in trouble. Whatever it means to be woke, well, I'm not going to define it. You already know. Whatever it means to be woke, wokeness must submit itself to being servant which is against its very basic definition. It must submit itself to being servant unto the one God, the one Lord, the one Savior, the one Master over all things, Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And so this morning, as I close, I'd like to have us stand, if you would. I want you to stand with me today. And I want us to give honor due his name, even right now. I know you've already sung but I want to just uh, give honor to the Lord right now. Gadal Elohim. Uh, I want us to think about how great is our God. And we're going to sing that without any keyboard, all right? You all know that song. 
How great is our God. Sing. Sing with me. How great is our God. And all will see how great, how great is our God. Sing it again. Come on. How great is our God. Sing with me. How great is our God, and all will see how great, how great is our God. Lord, we ask that you would hear us today as your people who recognize who you are. Lord, we may have some limited measure of our understanding, but we have the word of God that enables us to know enough that you expect from us that sense of worthiness, that we would acknowledge you as our great father, our great master, uh, that we would revere your name, which is above all other names. Lord, that you would somehow work in our lives to remind us day by day when we are distracted by so many things in our life that you're still sovereign, you're still on the throne, you'll never leave that position, and you are calling us to trust you, turn to you, follow you, yield to you, and love you with all of our hearts. And I ask, oh God, for that person today who maybe does not know you first as Lord and Savior, Uh, who is perhaps looking for answers in this life and in this world. And Lord, that you would reveal yourself to that person in such a way they would recognize you are the only way, the only truth and the only life. And Lord, I ask that you'll take that Christian who has been lax in their praise. It has not been coming often from their lips because they've been distracted and uh, hurt or hardened or uh, turned off by so many things. And Lord, that can happen to all of us as humans if we get our eyes off of you. But I ask that you would touch that person's heart today and melt them and bring them back into a a walk with you where we recognize the worthiness of who you are. We praise you for those who are going to be baptized as a, a way of symbolizing again how great you are in their life. And I pray that will continue in the days and months, weeks and years ahead in their life as they follow you. And may the rest of us take that example today. We lift you up. We praise you for all that you are, for all that you do. You are worthy of our praise. And we pray this in Christ's amazing and wonderful name. And all God's people said. 